afternoon. Glad that you're here. Oh, thank you. Thank all two of you. Thank you. That was. <laughs> hey, uh, we're beginning a series called uh, Is Your Marriage Worth Saving? And we've said this one more time, just want to say it. Uh, this is a series, doesn't matter where your marriage is at. Uh, we've had people self-identify and go, look, I, I've already filled out the paperwork for the lawyers. And I have, I have it on the counter waiting, and if this doesn't work, I'm sending it in. Uh, I guarantee you that we've got people in the room go, I've got a great marriage. I, I'm just curious to know, could something that's really, really, really good get even better? And so I'm here just to say, look, this, uh, this is, all of you are going to have an opportunity to do something that's going to move your relationships forward. There's something here for everybody. And I also want to say to the singles in the room, I think you may have one of the most valuable th times in this room of everybody because you don't have to make the mistakes that have gotten us to here. You have the opportunity to take a look ahead of time, see the pitfalls, see the places you don't want to navigate a relationship, maybe recognize some things that are weak or that would cause you to struggle and never go there. And I believe that in many ways, singles have the opportunity to get more out of this series than even the married couple. So I'm glad you're here, glad you're part of it. We're just going to unpack this thing um, together. Uh, I'm, I'm in Walmart this morning getting ready to come here. I, I needed some props, uh, and I, I needed to get some diapers. So I, uh, I head into Walmart, uh, and I haven't bought diapers in a while. So I walk over to the Walmart lady, and I said, I, I, uh, I need some diapers. And she looks at me for a moment, and then she says, uh, they're right over there uh, behind the pharmacy. So I, I go walking to the pharmacy, and I'm looking. I can't, I can't find a baby's diaper to save my life. And I keep looking, and nothing. And then finally I turn. And there's a whole wall of Depends. <laughs> Apparently, the Walmart lady thought I was way too old to be buying uh, baby diapers. But not a great way uh, to start my day. <laughs> so here, here's the thing. I just want to say this out loud as we begin to kind of unpack uh, this, this morning. Um, if you came today hoping for a really deep, deep, deep theological discussion you need to hang on. We're going to get there in the next few weeks. There's going to be moments we're going to just going to take Scripture and unpack and unpack and unpack together. Here's what we're going to try to do today is we're going to try to identify why the Bible has so much to say and why it needs to speak into it. And what we're going to find with Scripture is that Scripture and the Bible have a whole lot to say about how to fix this thing and how to be better at marriage. What the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time on is identifying where we went wrong uh, in the first place. And so we're just going to take a few moments today to say, what is it? How did we get to this point? How, how come so many of us would probably self-identify and go, look, I, this isn't what I thought. This isn't what I hoped. Here's an interesting stat. Did you know that out of couples who are married, so in other words, they haven't divorced, they haven't separated, uh, they still are married, that only a third of married couples, one out of three of married couples said, I'm in a good marriage which means two-thirds of people within marriage would say, this is, this is not what I thought. This is not what I signed up for. So we just want to take a few moments today and say, how did, how did we get there? And here's what I believe we're going to discover, that there was a decision really early on that at the time did not seem that big. It didn't seem that vital. It didn't seem 
that life-changing in the moment. And we made it, and now we find ourselves at a place that we never wanted to be, we never wanted to get to within our relationships, and we wonder how. And lo and behold, what we decided back when changed the absolute trajectory of our marital relationship. Let me see if this helps. Have you noticed that homes in Arizona all seem to float off the ground? Have you noticed that almost every home is up about six inches? This is because uh, anytime you build anything with wood, uh, it has to be up off the ground. No matter if you cover it with stucco, no matter how many layers you've got to it, uh, building code says you have to build it off the ground. Well, the reason for that is termites. And what they discovered was is that if you build and if you put any lumber anywhere near the dirt, that termites will find it. That the second they smell it, the second they sense it, they will get to it. So all of our homes look a little bit like they're floating. Years ago, when I first moved to Arizona, uh, my house was covered in wood sheeting. And interestingly enough, the wood sheeting went almost all the way down to the dirt. And I guarantee you the guys who were building my house had no idea that what they were doing, a very simple decision they were making about where to place the wood sheeting would ultimately lead the, to the demise of the homes in our neighborhood. See, they would have said in that moment, look, this is how everybody builds houses. I mean, this is, this is just standard operating procedure. This is how everybody does it. Today, you and I know better. We know that it's an invitation to termites. And, and as we begin to kind of unpack what we're going to talk about today, there's going to be moments you're going to go, Lynn, wait, 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 wait a minute. This is how my mom and dad did marriage. This is, this is how my friends do marriage. Everybody does marriage like that. Which may be the point. And that you and I in the process of this series may get challenged to do marriage very, very differently than our friends and very differently than our parents, and we may be asked to reconsider some stuff that we never, never, never thought we had even done wrong in the first place. Here's, here's, here's where I think many of us got off track, and something that I think you and I are going to have to, and the reason we're talking about this is because as we begin to work in solutions in the next few weeks, all of a sudden, if you and I can understand how broken this is, the solutions are suddenly going to Fit. And some of the protests and some of the arguments you and I were going to have and say, Lynn, Lynn, you don't. When we understand this, then all of a sudden what the Bible has to say will go, it'll just turn on. It'll, you'll, wow. The Bible knew exactly what it was doing when it said that. Here's what happens in our relationships. Remember, remember being dating? Remember just the, just the energy of being together and just the fun of the whole courtship uh, that was going on? And here's what was happening in that moment, is that you and I had a whole bucket full of I hopes. I hope the man I meet someday will. I hope the girl that, that I fall in love with will be. And you and I had a whole bucket full of hopes. And as we were dating and courting, all of a sudden, he accidentally did something that was in my bucket of hope. He didn't even mean to do it. It was a pure accident, but he happened to hit my bucket of hope. So let's say he happened to bring flowers. 
He didn't really mean to bring flowers. He was actually walking out of the store, and there was a little kid there, and he felt sorry for him, and he gave him a buck, but he brought you flowers. Now, here's the cool thing. Because it was in your bucket of hope, see, what, what, ladies, what you had said in your heart was, I hope that there's a man who's going to think about me even before the date and is going to be planning and anticipating us being together. And they're going to think about the date as much as I'm thinking about the date before we even go on the date. And he brought me flowers, which means he must have been thinking about me during the day. And so when he walked up with the flowers, and he didn't mean to get the flowers, it was an accident, but he brought the flowers. Because it hit your bucket of hope, guess how you interpreted the gift of flowers? He must really care about me. And he gets full credit for the flowers. It's the day after the date. And ladies, you were sitting there saying, I wonder how he feels about last night's date. I, I wonder if he likes me or not. If he would simply call, I would know he was thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about him. And he called. He called. And suddenly, because he hit your hope bucket... That gesture on his part, that thing that he did, suddenly was translated in your heart, and you said, this guy really cares, and he gets full credit for it. Guys, you were dating, and you had within your heart the things you hoped for from the woman you would one day find, the woman that you would spend the rest of your life with. And one of those things was you, you said, you know, I, I, I want a woman who trust me, that has a sense that I'm the guy that can lead our family and take us where we want to go. And you'd go on a date and you'd say, where do you want to go? And she'd say, I, you know, I don't care. Wherever you want to take us. And you thought, boy, she really trusts me. Now, the truth is she just didn't care. But <laughs> you, th you thought, man, she just, she just, she trusts me. And in that moment, you ready? You interpreted that as love. And she got full credit for the moment. You would do something. You'd open a door. You'd lead the way. And you'd look in her eyes and you'd see respect. And ladies, we're gonna, we'll unpack this later and we'll talk about this some more. You, you realize guys don't receive love the way you do. And that if you want to tell a guy that you love him, respect him. It's the quickest way to his heart. And you looked in her eyes, guys, and you saw honor and respect. And, you, and because she hit your hope bucket, you went, wow, wow. I could spend a lifetime with that woman. And she got full credit for the love. And then it changed. And guys, here's, here's the deal. We didn't realize it at the time. We didn't, even, we didn't even think about it. We were hanging wood sheeting on the side of our house, and we were putting it an inch off the ground, and it never occurred to us that what we were doing right then was going to lead to termites. We had no idea, and here's what we did. We moved from hope to you owe me, and here's how it happened. As the relationship moved closer and closer to commitment, 
There is something that intrinsically happens within our hearts that we suddenly take and start unpacking our hope bucket and begin to say, no, 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 that's no longer what I hope for in the relationship. That's what the relationship ought to do. So I'm no longer hoping for it. I'm expecting it. Because we're committed now. It's interesting because uh, he had um, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of things in his hope bucket. Like he had how many children uh, he was hoping you guys would have in his hope bucket. Uh, she had an idea of how many children you would have <laughs> in her hope bucket. She, she had an idea of what she would wear to bed each night. Puppies? Because here's what she said. No, 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 no. He loves me just the way I am, so it doesn't matter. He had what he was hoping she would wear to bed every night. Guys are going, amen. <laughs> Best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Dude, I'm coming back to this church. He, he had ideas about uh, how the house ought to be kept. I mean, his, this is the way his mother always kept the house, and it's the way that she ought to keep. The, I mean, that was just, you know. And so suddenly it moved from hope to this is what I expect. She had ideas about keeping the house. She had in her mind, hey, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to spend all this time together. See, here's the thing. As soon as he gets done from work, he's going to drive as fast as he can to home, and we're going to sit down. We're going to have couch time. <laughs> and he's, he's going to share everything that went on during the day and how he felt about it. He had his expectations about couch time. <laughs> and here's what you got to get. Okay. The problem here is not that the expectations are different. It's not the problem. It's not the problem. Every Mary, every Mary, they're always going to be there. That's not the problem. The problem is when we began to take our hope bucket and dump it on our spouse. And dump it into our you owe me bucket. See, if you're going to be a good husband, if you're going to be a good wife, then this is the bare, this is what you have to do. And here's the problem. Here's the dynamic that shifted. See, because when we were dating, every time they touched the hope bucket, they did. I interpret that in love. But here's the problem. Now I expect it. And in that moment, you ready for this? We made marriage a business proposition. We made marriage a contract. And what really happens, and this is this insidious moment within the relationship that says, if you will do, not what I hope, but what I expect you to do, then I will consider doing what you're expecting me to do. But if you don't fulfill your end of the contract, 
then I'm not going to fulfill my part of the contract. And guys, think about this. Isn't it true that divorce courts are full of people suing for irreconcilable differences, which is really code for, he stopped, so I didn't, but you stopped first. Yeah, but you said, and my feelings were hurt. Isn't the truth that the vast majority of divorces within our country right now are over breach of contract? Because we have turned marriage into a business proposition. And guys, here's what ought to terrify us. Men, you don't even like the men you do business with. So why are you making your marriage into a business negotiation? And suddenly, get this, suddenly the entire dynamic of the relationship changed. It's why so many couples go, man, when we were dating, it was so wonderful. And the big joke is, and then we got married. How did that happen? Because we took our bucket of hope and we poured it into the bin of you owe me. And here's what you got to get. The moment we did that, we began the death of the relationship. It, this, this decision kills romance within the relationship because no longer the things they do for me actually excite my heart. The things they're doing for me are the contractual fulfillment of our relationship. Guys, any chance for you to have a life partner and, and to have a relationship that is bonding and out of this, you lose this. It is dead the moment your marriage becomes a contract. Here's what kills it. You realize that the minute all of my hopes become binding obligations upon my spouse. They no longer get credit for anything they do right. Remember, remember when we were dating? He brought me flowers by accident. Oh, he must love me. She trusted me with that decision. She must respect me. But now she's supposed to do that. He has to do that because it's the obligation of being my husband or the obligation of being my wife. She no longer gets credit. Some of you men in here, man, you, you are wired so tight. And, and your answer is this, look, when I come home, the house ought to be perfect. And, and, and the dinner ought to be sitting on the table. And my wife better be looking good and whatever she's wearing ought to be tight. Okay, you've been, you've been watching too many episodes of Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> so here's what happens. You come home, okay? You come home, and let's just even imagine for the moment, the house is pretty good. There's only one or two toys still out. The house is pretty good. And, and dinner's on the stove, but it's still going to be another 40 minutes. And... and Praise God, she's not in her sweat. She actually put something on, okay? You realize that if, if that's an obligation, you realize your family gets no credit in that moment. Matter of fact, you know what you look like when you come home? Here's what, here's what you're doing. You're going, hey, 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 hey. We, we've talked about this, right? We've talked about this. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. 
What's that? What's that? Forty? Forty minutes? And you get what you're doing. And that, here's what you're doing. You're going, look, you owed me. This is what my expectation is. It's not my hope. This is my expectation. And you're falling short. So I've got to call you into breach of contract right now. Think how different this is. Think how different this is if you had left it in the hope bin. And guys, you said, no, I, you know, I, I am. I'm wired that way. I, I, my wish, my hope would be for a clean house. And my hope would be that dinner would be ready. I mean, that would be a good moment. You don't want to marry my wife, but that'd be a good moment. I'm teasing. And, uh, and you leave it in the hope bin. Now you come home, and the house is pretty good. Now you get to say, hey, guys, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you that there's only one toy up. Man, I am, man. And I can smell dinner on the, damn, thanks. And suddenly, because it's no longer an expectation, but it's hope, my family gets credit for trying. And I can suddenly be grateful for the effort. Ladies, you decide that his job is to be provider. I mean, that's his job, right? I mean, that's not crazy. That's what everybody, his job is be provider. That's part of the contract. And now he loses his job. The pink slip comes. He gets laid off. And ladies, I, you know, he does what a lot of guys do. All of a sudden, his legs are knocked out from under him. He's kind of caught off guard. He spends the next two months watching Bonanza. Finally, he picks himself up and he says, look, I, I got to do something for my family and I, I, I'm not finding a job that's like my old job. And he gets a cruddy job. Doesn't pay what the old job paid and doesn't have the benefits the old job had. If he's obligated, you know what you're saying about the new cruddy job? Really? Really? You mean we're cutting back on all this stuff and this isn't what I signed up for and couldn't you have worked a little harder at the first job so you wouldn't have gotten laid off in the first? See, if it's obligation, if this is terms and conditions, but if you put his provision back in hope and you get a man who's been laid off from his job and spent a couple months sitting on the couch and then said, I got to do something for my family, I, I, even if it is a cruddy job, and even if it, I just got to do something. Then in a culture where there's a whole bunch of men out there right now who are still sitting on their rear ends, you could be thankful, couldn't you? You could say, man, I'm glad for a husband who got up off the couch and went and got a job, and it's a cruddy job, it's Burger King. But he's doing something for the family. And that, his flipping burgers could be a gesture of love, couldn't it? Here's the second reason this thing is so deadly. Not only does he not and does she not get credit for what they do right, failure is fatal 
When you and I put our, expecta- our hopes and dreams and we put them in, I expect you owe me this. This is the minimum acceptable requirements for our marriage. Then when they fail, failure is fatal. Hey, what, what do you do in a contract with somebody when someone doesn't fulfill their side of the contract? You're, then you're out of it, right? You're out of it. Why do you think so many of our marriages are at points where one of them's going, I- I'm just done. You get what you're saying is, look, they had commitments, they had obligations, they're not doing it. I'm done. I feel like I did my part of the contract, they haven't done that, I'm done. And failure becomes fatal. Think about this. Not only do you not get credit for when you do something's right, but failure becomes fatal. If you pay your home mortgage on time for a year, will the mortgage company ever write you a thank you letter? (laughs) And the answer is no, they're never going to write you a thank you letter because here's what the mortgage company believes. That is a contractual obligation on your part, which means you get no credit for doing what you were obligated to do. So I'm not going to thank you for doing what the contract said. So if you're sitting here today and you're hoping that next month your mortgage company, and even in spite of the fact that we're in a culture and all sorts of people are defaulting on their loans and all sorts of people are doing worse than you, they are not going to write you a letter next month covered in perfume that says, thank you. Thank you for keeping your mortgage up. Matter of fact, we're so thankful and so grateful to you. We've enclosed $1,000 gift cards for scholarships for your children just to say thanks. For keeping your contractual obligation? Never. Matter of fact, though, if you don't keep your contract, failure is fatal. Try not paying your mortgage for a month or two. They'll write you a letter. I promise. (laughs) Matter of fact, don't pay it for a couple more months, you will get a personal phone call. Now, this is amazing. Because most of us are convinced that our mortgage company does not actually have humans who live there. You and I have tried to call so many times and it's, hey, for a conversation about your balance due, push three. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Now enter your ID code. Mm -hmm. But don't pay. Don't pay for a couple months. A human being will call you and express to you how they feel about your contractual failure. Many of our marriages have disintegrated that the conversation we're having together right now is contractual failure. Now, here's the thing you need to hear me say out loud. You and I are going to unpack this, and here's what we're going to find. There are some non-negotiables in a marriage. matter of fact, God's going to say, look, as you come together in a covenant, there are... There are some IOUs that happen between a man and a woman. But here's what you need to know. They are God-prescribed IOUs. They are not individuals' wish lists. And it's okay for God's IOUs to be here as the basis of the marriage and the conditions of the covenant. It is not okay for you and I to say, look, this is... This is just how much money you've got to make, and this is how many times we're going to have sex, and this is how the kid. Those are hopes. 
and they belong in your hope chest. How do you know? How do you, how do you know if you've done this to your marriage or not? Because this happens so slow and it's so insidious. How do you know? If you and I hadn't just had this conversation, if you and I hadn't had this talk, and if this was the beginning of the message and not toward the end, and I had just started today and said, look, here's what I want you to do. I, I gave you a piece of paper. I gave you a pencil. Write down for me, write down for me what your spouse owes the relationship. Write down for me the things that you believe your spouse ought to do because they're your spouse. And a matter of fact, they owe to the relationship. And my best guess is all of us would have been able to. You want to know another indicator that you've done this? When is the last time you spoke gratitude to your spouse? for the basic things of marriage. Men, when's the last time you thanked your wife for driving the kids around all day? And you go, what are you talking about? That's, that's what she's supposed to do, right? That's what wives do. Really? So, so guys, when she was 13, and when she was dreaming about being married to you, in her 13-year-old dream, she was going, I want a minivan. <laughs> and, and I want to drive all day long little kids to soccer practice and ballet. And I want to sit there while my little Tommy looks like a twerp trying to do karate. That's my dream. You know why she does that? She does that because she loves your kids and she loves your family. And as long as you keep that in the you owe that to us category, you will never be able to be thankful for that. And the truth is, guys, ready? You guys should have seen that that was an amazing act of love. But you'll never be able to be grateful as long as it stays here. Ladies, he takes you on a date. Some of you ladies are ready to pass out. Really? <laughs> and ladies, let me help you here, okay? Let me help you. I, I, I can help you if it got to here. If when he finally takes you on a date, you go, about time. Guess what box we just got to? And you get done with the date and you go, cruddy, dinner and a movie. We, we didn't even talk. We didn't even talk. It was just a movie. <laughs> how, much, how much more powerful? <laughs> how much more powerful if you'd left it here? Because here's what you would have, and I get, I get it. I get he was dumb and he took you to dinner and a movie and he didn't. I get it. But you get that in his maleness, 
He was honestly trying to express to you, wanting to be with you and love. And because you had it here, he got no credit. And if you would have left it here, you would have realized what a loving gesture he just gave. Matter of fact, you could have given him credit for it. Maybe even extra credit. What do, you, what do you do with this? How do you, how do you unpack this? And here is where we need to grab our Bibles. Grab your Bibles with me real quickly. It's going to be our first taste of God kind of speaking into this. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you some homework today to go home. And here's what I'm hoping that you and I are going to experience. That you and I are getting ready to go do something that's a little bit scary and a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to reverse an old, old, old decision that's taken us to the wrong place. But I, I, here's what I'm hoping that what you and I are going to experience in the next seven days is so positive in our relationships, so positive in our marriages, that you can't wait to come back here for the next six weeks to say, wow, if that one little nugget, if that one small conversation moved me that far in my relationship, I cannot wait for God to get into the deeper, more serious stuff. And that you and I would suddenly give God permission to even have harder conversations with us in the next few weeks. Okay, so here it is. It's Ephesians chapter 5. If you're not real familiar, go to the right in your Bible, all the way to the back, move to the left. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the interesting thing before you and I read this. Ephesians chapter 5 is the passage. It is the quintessential conversation of God about marriage. I mean, this is where he unpacks it. And you and I are simply going to start the first verse because here's, here's the interesting part about this. That as God gets ready to say, here's how this works. He begins the conversation saying, step one. Step one. We can't even talk about the rest. You're not ready for the rest. You won't be able to do the rest. Step one. And if you and I miss this step, if you and I fail here, the rest of the conversation is going to terrify us the next few weeks. Step one. Here it is. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's how he begins this conversation on marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. We have this conversation a lot of times when we think, oh, wait a minute, the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. What, what does this mean? Submit, husband, submit to the wife, wife, submit to, what in the world? Here's what I think he's asking us to do. You ready? I think he's asking us to empty the box. I think he's asking us to say, look, I'm, I'm going to take all of my hopes that I allowed to become expectations, that I began to say, my spouse owes me. It's the minimum level of acceptable quality. And to put him back in the hope bucket. <laughs> and then you ready? You ready? 
then that I would take my hopes and submit them, which means place them below. That I would take my hopes and say, look, everything in me wants my hopes to get my hopes done. But I'm going to choose in this moment to worry about your hopes. And I choose within our marriage to do my very best to take care of your bucket ahead of mine. And I'm hoping you might feel the same way about me. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. that's terrifying. What if, I mean, what if I did that? What if I said, okay, I'm going to take my hopes and I'm going to submit them and I'm going to take my spouse's hopes and make that the first regard of my heart? That's, I'm, I'm, what if my spouse never does that for me? No, it's as scary as I'll get out. But can, I, can I just say to you guys, every marriage needs a hero. Every marriage needs someone who will be the first to do this. And anyone hear the credible part of the passage? Okay, let's go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does he mean by that? You get what he's saying? Because this, this, this taking my hopes and my needs and putting them down, and saying, no, 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 your hopes and needs are more important. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did on the cross? And he's saying, look, if your Savior did that on your behalf, God says, look, I'm not that unreasonable if I ask a husband to do that for his wife or a wife for her husband out of reverence for what God's already done for you. Here's my challenge. One week. One week. Just one week of this. One week of this box being empty. One week of saying, look, 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 I'm going to submit my hopes. My, I'm going to submit those. I'm going to place the desires and the hopes of my spouse above my own. I'm going to be the first one to go. I'm going to be the first for one week. And I believe the change that will begin to happen in your relationship will be so powerful, so profound. Your spouse, your spouse may not even be in the room today. Your spouse may be at home and say, I don't need that stupid marriage suit. You do this, your spouse is going, what's wrong? What happened to you? That there may be hope yet. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we... We just simply come to the moment, and we did. We, we, we launched off into this thing called marriage, and we did, we did exactly what our friends do, and, and we did exactly what our parents did, and we saw a model in our lives. And it, it, It's strange, because I don't think we even thought about it, but there came a moment in which we took all of our hopes and dreams and desires for a marriage, and we put them on top of our spouse, and we said, you are obligated to be this type of a husband, this type of a wife. That's your job now. And if you don't do it, you violate the contract. God, 
marriage between a man and a woman was never to be a business venture. And so, God, I'm just going to ask today for courage for couples to just say, I, I get it. I get it. I, the, what, part of the reason I'm so deeply frustrated and so dissatisfied is my spouse has not lived up to my requirements, hopes that I made obligations. And I'm just going to choose for a week to unpack the contract. To go back to how it was when we dated. But maybe even more importantly, for a week, to submit my hopes to the hopes of my spouse. To say, look, I, I'm going to take care of what's in your bucket and what I know you've been desiring from this real, I'm, I'm just going to do that on behalf of you. Even if you never do that for me, I'm going to do this for a week. And just see. God, thank you that you understood our hearts and you knew so clearly how we were wired. So God, we just simply choose to do this, even as the scripture said, in reverence for Christ. If Jesus could go to a cross because I needed him too, then I can meet the needs of my wife. I can meet the needs of my husband in our marriage out of reverence. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.